I'm so happy you're here today. This conversation with Lisa Haim is so good. Let's get into it. Welcome to I Am All This, a podcast about what it means to take care of your whole self and show up fully present here now. I'm your host, Kate Hurley, and this episode is brought to you by my app, Kate, which delivers a variety of movement and meditation classes, ranging from high-intensity sweat fests to guided runs to more restorative options like yoga and meditation. With over 90 classes to choose from, you're bound to find something that's just right for you. To start your free trial, visit kateherley.com or search for my name spelled K-A-I-T in the app store. So everything we discuss on this podcast is about you, but it's also much bigger than you. My hope is that in every single episode, what comes through is the fierce power of love and how deeply connected we are to each other and to the environment. Today, we have an incredible guest, Lisa Heim. Lisa is a registered dietitian with a master's degree in nutrition and exercise physiology from Columbia University. Having crossed the line herself, Lisa understands the fine line between eating healthy and becoming obsessive about it. Her approach to mindful eating and tools to help people foster self-trust and self-confidence is so refreshing and effective. Before we dive in though, I want to give you a heads up that during this conversation, we talk about mindful eating and how to get more food freedom through the lens of eating disorders. Lisa works with a lot of people who struggle with disordered eating and eating disorders, so that's how she approaches her coursework and coaching. That said, whether you struggle with these things or not, I truly believe this conversation is relevant for all of us and can help us become more aware and informed about some of our own patterns of behavior and beliefs that may not be serving our best and highest good. Okay, let's get started and meet Lisa. Hey, Lisa, I'm so fired up to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited for your new podcast. Oh, well, okay. So I want to get started and just have you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your work and how you got to this point. Sure. Um, So I'm a registered dietitian and a wellness or well-being blogger, I feel like is a kind of more accurate word for it these days. Um, So over on the Well Necessities has been my account for a long time, as well as my personal nutrition business. And the two kind of came together and became a place where I lead with my authentic self and hope to encourage others to do that while talking about the difficult struggles that most of us go through um, at one point in our life or another or in one form or another. Um, So I do that as well as um, my newest venture in the past year is called Fork the Noise. And that's where I actually teach online what I teach with my personal clients, which is real tools to listen, honor, understand and respect your body. So um, I'm all about helping people feel really, just like you, I should say, actually, feel connected to their bodies and feel empowered 
by um, learning that all the answers are actually found within. Beautiful. And what I love about your work is just how you've really taken on diet culture and encouraged people to just be more aware and using mindfulness to start to see some of the harm that, you know, we're all swimming in just by. Yeah. And I like that. I love that you said that because I'm all about real tools and so much of the diet culture or anti-diet culture in my opinion, just feels like a really angry space. You know, you're either angry because you're angry at diet culture or you're angry because you don't understand people that are angry at diet culture. (laughs) So there's so much hate and anger. And in my, you know, opinion, um, you know, I grew up with two divorced parents. I understand how far hate can go and they didn't hate each other. But just my point is that I, I lived enough around enough anger in my life to understand that it's not an emotion that propels us forward. Um, and so mindfulness in general, whether it's with food or life, daily struggles of anxiety or whatnot, is just such a softer approach and allows us to be so much more expansive and get where we want to go. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. Um, and you know, when I first found out about your work, what really drew me towards your work is that I never heard anyone talk about mindfulness in the, I guess, food space the way that you do. I've been in the health and wellness, like predominantly fitness space for over a decade. And a lot of times when I've seen mindful eating tips um, in the fitness space, it's been about having, you know, like not getting up for for seconds after dinner and enjoying conversation. Using it as like a hack to eat less. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So it was so interesting. And that's why I call it like my modern mindful eating approach, because a lot of the principles that I teach, like aren't things that I made up necessarily, but how I position them and put them to use is my, you know, my secret sauce, if you will. Um, And because I don't, I don't know. I, you know, for so long, diet culture was so pervasive that you didn't know you were part of the problem. And you thought that you could like that using mindfulness to eat less was a helpful tool, but really all that did was kind of like hide diet culture in another layer of sending the message of eat less, be smaller, control your weight, um, And, you know, I think that you understand how this contributes to kind of like a global issue of making women and men, by the way, this affects everybody, but for the sake of this conversation, making women, you know, um, stay small, be small, think small. Yeah. And confusing mindfulness with kind of this idealized version of you or mindfulness with perfection in a way. So for me, mindfulness kind of accidentally started to bleed into my life. I started going to yoga more at a place that um, I think when it comes to yoga, like it needs to be the right environment and the right teachers. And I kind of found that perfect storm for me. And as a result, I started to be one with myself rather than tear at myself. And these feelings of self-acceptance on all days, good body days, bad body days, it started to bleed into my everyday life things that didn't have to do 
with my body. Um, I started to notice and be able to deal with anxiety in a much more way that was present and grounding. And I wanted to be able to kind of take what I was feeling and provide that to people in a way that could be digested by the regular person who didn't think that yoga was them or somebody that doesn't think that they're spiritual, you know, just for the person that thinks like, Hey, I think about food a lot. Why is this? And what can I do to be myself? Beautiful. What I love about your work is that, you know, you don't have to have a steady everyday meditation practice. You don't, like you mentioned, have to do yoga every day to really understand how to use these teachings and practices and put them on your plate and take them in your kitchen. Um, and even, you know, your work goes so beyond just food. But um, I'd love to hear more about what these specific tools are. Can you share what your principal guiding light is that is Fork the Noise? Yeah. So Fork the Noise Fundamentals is like my most signature course right now. It's like the entry level, what is Fork the Noise? What is modern mindful eating? And really hopes to create a foundation for understanding what modern mindfulness is. Some people leave this program complete, a lot of people actually completely changed with a newfound relationship to food. Other people, they're just starting to scratch the surface and they are um, given tools to be more mindful, but they still need to go through a bit more. Um, for that reason, I say, I think that for the noise and all my teachings are really for everybody. Um, I market primarily to people that understand that they have a disordered eating relationship to food. Um, but to be honest, all I'm doing is just teaching things that we all deserve to know. We should all understand food without fear. We should all understand how our bodies respond and what that feels like. So basically what I was doing with my clients one-on-one -on -one was I was bringing sort of action-based meditations to them to feel, for, to help them feel what it feels like when their bodies communicate. So a lot of people will say, you know, just listen to your body. That I would love to do that, but it's so hard, right? Like that's a stupid method because I don't know what my body's saying. That's the... That's the main chief complaint with intuitive eating or anything that's not a prescriptive diet. And what I say is, you're right. It's really hard to understand what your body says, is saying, how it communicates, what it all means when you have had a lifetime behind you of learning that you can't trust your body. So here's what you can do to outsmart it. You know, when you've been told that your body is this unruly force, and when you've been told that if left to your own devices, you know, you will gain weight. And if you gain weight, you will, the implied message is you will be, um, you know, you won't have the sense of belonging within our society. So my first thing is to say, is to say, you're right. It's hard to listen to your body, but you're just because you've been trying to ignore the signals that your body's been sending doesn't mean that your body has stopped sending those signals. And all we need to do, in a sense, is put a microphone, if you will, Ian, to that to those um, communications, and allow you to hear them, so you can begin to trust them. What are some ways for someone who's super beginner? How can they start to settle into that and gain that trust? 
Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that people need to do is like, we don't arrive at self-trust just like we don't arrive at loving our bodies. Um, We need to do some work to get there. And a lot of that comes from building self-awareness. So getting to know who you are and what your beliefs are, is our kind of core work that we need to be doing before we jump into trusting ourselves. So we need to get really micro before we get macro, if that makes sense. Um, so if I had to offer like one piece of advice to, to uh, somebody who's like, okay, you know, my, my relationship to food is a little, it doesn't feel right. I spend a lot of time stressing. I have a lot of food guilt. I overthink, I over worry, I over plan. Um, if things aren't in my control, I freak out. If, if people are having thoughts like that, the first thing I would have them do is to get to know their food fears. So coming up with a list of foods or ingredients that they deem as bad is really helpful to see written out. Because the first thing we need to do is neutralize all food. So we need to see that there are no good foods, there are no bad foods, so that when our bodies ask us for something, we can give it to our bodies rather than judge ourselves or try and create ideas of why we shouldn't have something. So step one, I think, is to build self-awareness around which foods you view as bad and which foods and how bad you think they are. So coming up with a list of, you know, a little bit scary, very medium scary and very scary can be helpful to break that down and see it very clearly. And then what they can try to do is actually start to incorporate these foods back into their life to challenge the false beliefs they've been living them living them they've been feeding to them by keeping them on this list. So I've had clients that have fear foods um, with things like fruit even. And so bringing fruit back into their lives, maybe side by side to something that's very safe, like an omelet. You know, eggs are a very diet culture. Um, good food, right? Like they're whole foods, they're protein, they're pretty safe to most people, at least egg whites are, you know, so maybe you're starting to have some fruit with some egg whites and incorporating these foods into your daily life is just naturally neutralizing them and showing you that they aren't all that powerful, that you don't need all this willpower to be around them and that they're enjoyable, but they might not even taste like what you think they taste like. Well, That is very interesting because a lot of the things, you know, that I've learned with my teacher is that just seeing, starting to see some of the habits and patterns of thinking, like the habits of the heart and mind that are causing suffering and causing harm is a great way to interrupt that cycle. So it sounds like one of the really high priority tasks that you do when you get a new client is you just acknowledge and become aware of the fears and some of the limiting beliefs that are causing harm about food and how they're nourishing their bodies. Yeah. And I think you and I had a recent conversation about this offline. I came to you with, um, with, I wanted to go a little bit further with something you posted online about the inner critic. Um, and it's something I do with my clients and, I think everybody could do, but you were talking about just observing the inner critic rather than fighting the inner critic. Um, And that really spoke to me. And it's something I do because the first step is like, is to uh, detach yourself from your thoughts. But instead of detach and feeling angry or coming up with a plan, I think the most powerful thing I've learned also from you is that we can observe these thoughts and kind of naturally 
see how we move away from them rather than always having the intent of fighting or being angry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all a real challenge to embrace the parts of ourselves that are more difficult to accept and, and embracing the, the parts of our experience that are more difficult and that our mind doesn't like. Right. And that's the, um, you know, I think you and I were talking before um, an event that I did, and I did one on self-esteem and self-worth and kind of had people understand the difference between the two. And that's what it's really all about for me, even though it's it's about food. It's about showing people that their self-worth is um, is what we, that we need. I need to reconnect people with a true sense of self-worth because for so long, they've kind of abandoned that part of their lives and focused on things that bolster self-esteem. Um, and self-esteem is always subject to other people where self-worth is a is an understanding of you have pros and cons and you accept yourself of being all of these things because you are a whole picture, not a piece of the pie. I, um, I love that. Yeah, I love I, that. Yeah. I mean, that is such a key difference. And you know, I think if people only get that out of this conversation, it'll be really beneficial for them, that difference between self-esteem and self-worth. And I just want to say it again, that self-esteem is conditional. It depends on how other people perceive you. And that is what can lead us to always striving and trying to achieve and proving ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I sure have been there and that left me burnt out. Yeah, I think that it looks different on all different people, but in some way or another, it all leads to burnout um, or depression or, um, you know, just just self-esteem can only take you so far. I keep giving this example when I talk about it, but it's like, and I see it a lot with athletes, um, but let's say, you know, you're, you're the best ice skater in the world and you go on to win the gold medal. It's like, you're only as good as you're only feeling as good as long as you hold that gold medal. And at some point you're going to pass that gold medal down or get really close where you lose it to somebody else. So, you know, we all have our own gold medals, so to speak, but it's, it's important to recognize that you're not just the winning piece. You know, there's so much more to you that is worthy of love and belonging. And the best part of self-worth is you don't have to do anything to earn that. And when you recognize that you're a sum of strengths and weaknesses, like we all just simply have strengths and weaknesses. And when we start to acknowledge that there are both and that, again, we are that whole piece, that's when we start to recognize that we are worthy. Beautiful. Yes. And that there's a part of us that is unshakable um, and not, yeah, that doesn't. Like you, you're awesome because you're you and I'm awesome because I'm me. I don't need to try and be you and you don't need to try and be me. And that's the freeing part because I know this conversation is taking a little bit of a twist, but it's really not because at the end of the day, we're all want to belong and feel like we have a place in this world. And so we do things to try and conform, to look a normal, to look like what beauty looks like, you know, to... To, to just be, so, if we see somebody else is doing something successful, we might try and emulate what they're doing only to feel defeated because it doesn't translate the same way. So even though my work is about food, because, you know, I'm a registered dietitian, it's really about you 
me living our most authentic, as I often say, truthiest life, because that's when we start to expand and do what we were put on earth to do. And we each have individual reasons for that. Some of us more global, some of us more local, some of us more familial, meaning like maybe you're meant to be a mom that takes incredible care of your kids. Maybe you're meant to be a nurse. Maybe you're meant to do whatever. But you could only figure out what your true sense of being here is when you get rid of the fear of trying to be all the things you think you should be. Absolutely. Really, it's all about freedom. And that's what you're giving people is a little bit more freedom. Freedom, exactly. And it doesn't mean that we abandon health, which is something that people um, think that it means the way kind of social media kind of talks about food freedom and the way if you don't understand what I have to say, I guess, you know, has to do with it. Food is actually one of the first things. Nutrition is one of the first things I talk about with my Fork the Noise students. And this doesn't, I think it's important distinction. And I read this in I think it was Christy Harrison's book. I could be wrong, but talking about how like you're taking care of your health and your body isn't something that you have to do. It's a choice. Like you're not lazy if that's not your, your core focus. But when I talk to my students, they are interested in nutrition. They are interested in health. And so I use that as a tool to empower and teach versus fear monger or, you know, use it as a tool to hack into the body. So for me, like, I think it's so nutrition, education is power. And when we learn what food does, we can then start to make choices from a place of what serves me best versus like, what do I need to eat and not eat to look a certain way? Absolutely. Um, That is so powerful. So um, there were a couple of things that you said here. Basically, like what I find so interesting is that you primarily work with people who struggle with like body image or disordered eating. Is that true? Uh, My Fork the Noise students are mostly people that would identify with disordered eating. Yes. Okay. But all of these practices that you're talking about are so good for all of us and it's not something that we've learned before or I know, you know, and, and, and it's like, we're plugged into this matrix where everywhere we look, you know, I don't have, I don't identify as having an eating disorder or disordered eating, but I certainly have had strong emotions around food or guilt around food, or I've said, Oh, I need to get my life together. I need to like start having green smoothies in the morning as if what I eat for breakfast for breakfast is the only indication of whether or not my life is together. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. And I think, um, you know, for somebody like you, it's like you put one brick down and then the next one comes into place or it feels like that's how we get our sense of control. So I always like to think of like things like that. Like if, if having a green smoothie for you, Kate, you know, is part of your first brick that goes down, you know, so be it. But also like to bring some recognition to the fact that if that brick doesn't go down, you can still have a strong, successful day. Absolutely. I think it's recognizing that nutrition and um, eating empowered and with intent is a helpful tool, but it's we've put so much weight on it and emphasis that we 
kind of throw in the towel if we don't get that first brick down. And sometimes that brick just isn't available. It's a very privileged thing, right? To be able to even prepare the green smoothie in the morning, to have the time, to have the resources to, you know, to right now you and I are both two married women with no children. You know, we have, we've have, we are the focus of our lives when it comes to to feeding ourselves or I am, I can't speak for you. You have a cat. (laughs) Yes. It's very stressful being a cat mom. Let me tell you. (laughs) But yes, exactly. Uh, Well, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about movement. I love what you have to say with exercise, because I think that this goes hand in hand. And, you know, a lot of people have this belief that they have to um, do a certain kind of exercise to make up for you know, their food intake or vice versa. So um, can you talk a little bit about your approach to exercise and maybe how it's shifted over the years as you've kind of healed yourself? Yeah. So I think the two things that people need to know is food is not a reward and fitness is not a punishment. And that's statement one. And statement two is we were born to move humans um, and animals, I guess all animals are, are, are built to move. Um, and so going to statement one, food is not a reward and fitness is not a punishment. That speaks to the fact that we deserve food always and fitness does not need to hurt to be good. And that kind of speaks to everything goes against everything that we've been taught which is, you know, go to the gym to burn off your food and, or don't, oh, you shouldn't eat that much because you didn't work out. These are all um, misleading pieces of information that have contributed to a negative relationship to both food, to exercise, two things that we need to do to survive and to feel good and to foster our well-being, but we've been positioned innately to have a negative relationship to them. When I say we're born to move, like we are meant to do things with our bodies. We Most of us have pretty sedentary jobs, but movement is really how we were meant to kind of make this world go, go round. Um, and when we recognize that movement is critical to our well-being, we can really look at it in a different way. So, yeah, so I had a negative relationship to exercise myself. No surprise there. Also a negative relationship to food. And fitness became this thing that I had to do. Um, there was a period of my life where I was very compulsive about it. Um, and it wasn't because I... Um, was really focused about my health and well-being. It was because it was how I could control for my body and alleviate food guilt and give myself permission to eat. Um, at the same time, even though I was getting there more and doing arduous, arduous, however you say the word, difficult exercises, um, if I was putting my, you know, my body through pain, I literally had to dread. Um, drag myself there every day. You know, I went through the uh, making excuses and it was so, I was always, you know, procrastinating to get there. And um, something shifted where I realized one day while doing the type of workout that felt really good on my body, playing the music in my headphones that, you know, was getting me pumped up, 
that exercise could be a tool to make me feel like my highest self. But caveat asterisk here, it has to be the movement that works for my body. And so recognizing that something like spinning, which I, I'll do once in a while if I'm in the mood, but spit like this was while um, spinning was starting to get very popular, maybe six years ago or so. Everybody was doing spinning and my body hated spinning. So why was I dragging myself to spend $30, $40 on a spin class when my body hated it and my mind hated it as a result? Um, when I could be going to the to the gym, which I know is, is a less popular place to go, people have fitness classes, where I could do workouts on my own, maybe skip cardio, you know, like, oh my gosh, crazy idea, just do strength training one day or two days a week and start to lean into what feels good. And then all of a sudden, everything started to shift around me. I realized that I wanted to go to, to the gym. I It was my the time that could be carved out for just me. I realized that this was a, a way for me to connect deeply with my body, to feel strong and empowered. Um, and then on a sort of like more scientific side, it also boosts endorphins. It was a way for me to feel good mentally, to deal with my anxiety and depression and also boost immunity at the same time. So fitness became so much more than burning calories and something I had to do. And I started to get just get more playful with it, skipping the gym some days, rollerblading, dancing, allowing joyful movement to count as exercise other than, okay, you did 30 minutes of running and you know 30 minutes of strength training. So being more intuitive, I feel like rather than mechanical, um, kind of just shifted everything for me. I love that. Um, I also have a question because when you started to shift and make exercise more intuitive, did you struggle a bit with how to listen to your body? Because even for me, you know, there are so many days when my alarm clock goes off and I don't want to go do my workout. And some days I skip it, but some days, you know, I know that I just need to get moving and that will help me feel better and actually energize me. And that's a great question. Um, and it's, I, I struggle with, not I struggle, I understand the sentiment. And what I always say to people and to myself is what does your near future self need? So like not what, not what you need in a week, not what you need in a month, what will you need in three hours to feel your best? And sometimes I find that the answer is, you know, you're just being self-defeating a little bit in your mind. You really need to get some movement in today or you need to rest. And whatever that answer is, I think just commit to it, understanding that you've made the best choice for your near future self. And if it ends up later in the day being, oh, I should have worked out this morning. Instead of I should have, it's just next time I feel that way, I'm going to move because I think I would have benefited from getting some movement in. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That's super helpful. I always like to hear how other people navigate that one. Yeah, normally when I say, you know, I, I personally have the luxury, I believe it's a luxury of not choosing the days where I don't work out because my schedule, I work for myself. And so usually I can just move things around to kind of best benefit me. Um, but I don't choose my rest days, but I wake up and I, I just know the body just just tells me and I'm super connected and trusting to it. And there are stretches of time, sometimes five days, seven days where that is kind of on repeat. And I continue to trust that this is a body that wants to move that needs to move. And when it's ready to get 30 minutes of walking back in, it will tell me. And 
it's yet to fail me in five years. Um, and sort of seeing things differently, whether it's food or fitness as not being on a wagon or not being good or not being bad or, or having streaks. Like I used to think, oh, I got to the gym six days this week. I can't break this streak. Not recognizing it as this on or off streak wagon has allows me to show up every day. And that's mindfulness too. It's not thinking about the future, not thinking about the past, just I am here right now. And what do I need to feel the most me right now? Yes, I love all of this. That's so helpful. Thank you for sharing, Lisa. I've got a few quick fire questions for you. Okay. What's your favorite nourishing meal? I don't know. I just, it changes so much day to day. I eat a lot of um, salads or smoothies. I know they're traditionally thought of as like healthy diet foods, but for me, I feel fantastic when I eat nourishing green salad that has some protein and healthy fats and just with flavors that I like. Perfect. I try to do a salad every day. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's days when my body doesn't want salad and I can listen to that, but I happen to love this, um, this vegan tahini, uh, this vegan tahini Caesar dressing from Vegikins, you know? Um, oh yeah. I've had that before. Yeah. It's like my favorite thing. And I make it like wherever I go, even like an abridged version with different ingredients. Um, it's on vegikins.com Caesar dressing. I love that. I'll one. put that in the show notes for everybody. I like that one too. What is some advice you wish you could give your younger self? I would tell myself that it's okay to trust myself, that, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in your life that people don't understand, but running from yourself is the worst thing you can do. Now's the time to show yourself that you're here for you. And that takes so much courage. Yeah, I think that um, during hard stuff, we tend to run and use food as controls or some people use drugs or alcohol and these are all forms of running um, or even shopping. People, people, you know, find control in all different things and sometimes it's the best thing we can do is sit with difficulty. I love that. And I, I can relate. I physically ran. I ran and ran and ran <laughs> from myself. <laughs> right. I mean, sometimes I will say that's helpful to get energy out. Like, I just need to get it out. But that's very different from running from yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Any favorite books? Um, I love mystery books like Harlan Coben. He writes really long like 600 page books, but whenever they're in my hands, I read them in like two days. He's about to come out with a new book I heard. So I need to get my hands on that because um, I love getting lost in something so unrelated to my world. It was personally something that I couldn't do when I was wrapped up in diet culture and my disordered eating because it was all about me. And if I wasn't doing something to be healthy, then I was quote unquote lazy. So I love a good lazy book day of something unrelated to work or anything like that. Nice. And because we have been talking so much about disordered eating. If someone's listening to this and they need to get help, what are the best steps that they should take? 
So I um, am coming out with a little podcast series with Amy Brown. She's a radio talk show host. It's going to be called Outway, and it will take place on her Four Things podcast. Um, and one of the things that we did to in the beginning of this was provide a disclaimer um, as well as a resource. And so I've just been sending people to National Eating this. What, what's Nita's website? One sec. Let me just make sure I... I so it's the nationaleatingdisorders.org, and that's Nita's website. And they have so much help and support for finding therapists, for finding dietitians, screening tools. Uh, so I think that's the best way to start. Nice. And probably talk to your primary care physician too. Yeah. Primary care physician is going to be wonderful. If you have a therapist, speak to them. Um, but for somebody that says, okay, I identified with some disordered eating mentality. Where do I begin? Uh, this is kind of a general first starting place where you can evaluate kind of what level you're at. Nice. Okay. Thank you for that. And then our last question, how does fierce love show up in what you do in the world? I think that everything I do comes from a place of love and service. So, um, you know, something I think I asked myself before I put anything into the, into the internet world or on my Instagram stories or my newsletters, it's, you know, why am I doing this and what am I bringing? Um, and I think it's my fierce love for wanting to help others be better, be truer to themselves, be more authentic. That is what it all kind of comes down to. That's evident in everything that you do, Lisa. You too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, how can people find you? How can they stay in touch? So stay in touch on Instagram at The Well Necessities. If any of the Fork the Noise anti-diet stuff spoke to you, you can go to forkthenoise.com. And I have different courses available. Right now we have Ditch Diets for Good, uh, which is a mini e-course, very affordable on just learning the truth about a lot of the things that you've been told that are not true. Um, and then we have Fork the Noise Fundamentals. And depending on when this airs, we'll have another course called Fork the Food Rules, which is super simple, pretty much what we talked about, sort of breaking down those food rules and making them making all foods neutral again so you can start to be aware of what your body truly needs. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for joining today. Thanks, Kate. That was Lisa Heim, registered dietitian and woman on a mission to dismantle diet culture. If you got something out of our conversation, I'd love for you to write a review on iTunes or hit me up on Instagram to let me know your thoughts. This podcast show is brand new and it really helps me to know what resonates so I can serve you better. Also, while so many of us are practicing social distancing, I want you to know that I'm here to support your movement and meditation needs. My free trial is available on the app and website. I've got over 90 classes. I've got a bunch of programs to choose from. Give it a try. Thanks for listening in. Here's to showing up fully present now. Until next week, I'll see you soon, friends.